Hello, listeners, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of World Forge. World Forge is a podcast by creators and for creators, where we use random prompts to invent just about anything you can imagine. Together, we'll make heroes and villains, ancient monsters and magical cities. And our hope is that we inspire all the other creators and storytellers out there listening to do the same. So, without any further ado, I'm Sam. And I'm Piper. And welcome to World Forge. back again guess what it's world forge time hey guys hello hi welcome back back to episode 47 of world forge we're coming up on the big 5-0 which i think is really really exciting yeah then we'll be over the hill yes exactly (laughs) finally (laughs) (laughs) our podcast here is similar to like dog years where probably is there like a factor of I don't really know how that works, actually. You've only been doing this for 47 episodes. We're not experts yet, so... Nah, but once we hit 5-0, then we'll know everything there is to know about podcasting. <laughs> yes, that is that is certainly true. I think that is an immutable fact. No yeah. podcaster in the world would disagree with that. Right. When you <laughs> awake on your the day of your 50th episode, yep. you awake with a vision that was brought to you by the podcast gods. Yes, and a golden microphone in your hand. Yes. No one knows where they come from. But that's that's just how it happens, man. Exactly. Where, it's it's part from. of the big secret. You're not allowed to share that info once yes. you've given it. So yeah, exactly. It's like the Freemasons. You know, it's all all kind of behind the scenes secret. But we're 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 making the world a better place. Heck right? yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. I'm gonna put uh, a little treat under my pillow for the podcast fairy. Uh, and I'm kind of on that note, actually. Um, I I think. It's probably worth mentioning, as we are nearing episode 50, um, we're going to be doing something really fun for our 50th episode, and we're going to be revisiting a couple of the uh, creations that we've made in the past and yeah. sort of expanding upon them a little bit more and maybe telling some stories with them that are kind of crossovers. So we may take uh, you know, Piper's Winsea, uh from our Fantasy Races episode and see how they would interact with... Uh, you know, maybe Neville, our mm-hmm. our anti-cat uh, private detective guy. <laughs> I think there there's a lot of really fun stuff that we want to talk about again. Right. But we definitely want to hear from you, our listeners, to see if there is anything that you think would be really cool for us to revisit. So over the next couple of weeks, if you want to, uh, you know, reach out to us and let us know if there's anything you want us to touch on again, we would love to. Uh, we're going to have some fun guests on that episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's going to be a blast. So yeah. we're, we're very excited for it. Definitely. So, uh, so if yeah. you have an episode that's your number one favorite and you want us to do something like that again uh let us know what you want to see Mm -hmm. brought back onto the airwaves yeah either through twitter at worldforgepod or uh through gmail worldforgepod at gmail.com both would be good ways to reach out to us here so um yeah because we want to be touching on the fan favorites we don't want to grab something and everyone's like oh (laughs) not that one that one sucked so yeah it's got to be fun but enough about that uh we're (laughs) we're not on episode 50 today we're on episode 47 yeah, uh, so today premature. we are going to be talking about something that also actually I think it's kind of crazy. It took us 47 episodes to get to this point, Piper. What is what is our topic for today? So our topic today, we are going to be coming up with two separate kingdoms. Yeah. But these kingdoms, they have a very special connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the main thing that we have to talk about is uh, these are not ours. These, uh, well, we will be creating them, but they yes. are a gift for a very good listener friend of ours who actually requested. A very good listener friend of ours. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> who requested that we help him out with uh, building his world that he's been working on. Yeah, that, that's D&D Steve on Twitter reached out to us and he said that he and his daughter are uh, building a world for a game and they wanted our help kind of populating uh, this place with these these 
they kind of had these foundational ideas for two kingdoms they want in the world and they said just run with it just yeah, go crazy just go nuts so uh steve and nicole <laughs> this one is for you we're very honored to have been asked to participate in this and to kind of help you build this it's really really exciting for us so uh we're going to be establishing a bunch of sort of the the kind of secondary details about this so we have mm -hmm. already like names and um some kind of deities and things like that for this world uh and for these two cities but we're going to be saying well what kind of people live here mm -hmm. and you know what is like the style of the you know visually aesthetically what do they look like what kind of things can you do here what Where is their commerce they? based on absolutely you know, what's the terrain of this place what's absolutely. the weather like yeah, so we've got a lot of really fun stuff here. And uh, yeah, I, I think kingdom building seems like a really foundational thing. That's kind of what I meant when I'm like, I can't believe we're 47 episodes in and we're just now building kingdoms like this, we've, you know, for the first time. We've definitely built kingdoms before. I guess not as like a... Uh, not as a standalone. Topic, but, yeah, the, but yeah. they've come up in the, the larger building yeah, that we've done. They certainly have. Yeah. So uh, that's what we're going to be doing here today, which uh, I'm, I'm really excited to jump in here. I want to start, though, and just read the... Uh, just kind of the basic premise that steve had sent us here uh he said here here's the actual message that he that he sent to us he said i had a really amazing thought for a show my nine-year-old daughter and i are making a D, D world i'd love if the two of you could create two kingdoms for our world so far we have not much the world is called stadavita the three main deities are solux god of the sun depicted as a gold dragon lunumbra goddess of the night and the moon uh, goddess of the night and the moon depicted as a black dragon and stadavita itself the entire world and the balance between life and death light and dark stadavita is the child of both the dragons and the egg that created the world so i think that's a really really cool foundation for all of this i like it's sort of this yin and yang yeah. thing and that you know these the light and dark come together to create the plane where we all actually kind of exist and experience this this balance i think that's a really really neat thing it's an awesome like yeah. launching point and yeah. i feel very fortunate to get to build on this world so thank you very much for coming to us because you already have some really cool founding ideas yeah. and we're honored to be able to create within that scope for sure and i think kind of to help establish the scope a little bit further, uh, we do, as always, have some fun sources of inspiration, uh, mm -hmm. some things that we maybe want to draw from as we're building these ourselves. Piper, do you want to go ahead and start and talk about some cool kingdoms uh, from, from pop culture that you think are really neat? Yes. Well, I would love to because when I heard the details of this prompt, it made me think immediately of a animated film, which is so beautiful and ties into this really, really well. Yeah. Um, it's a movie called Moon, and that's spelled M-U-N-E. Yeah. It's a French animated film, uh, and it's just stunning and it the entire thing centers around a very similar concept of there's this in their world uh there is a sun side and a moon side and this is kind of this balance and the different creatures who can exist within each realm they each have a champion who is sort of the guardian of either the sun or the moon and after several hundreds of years the person who has this role gets too old and they have to choose a new person to come in and, and take care of this thing and one thing that's really cool about it is that instead of their planet like revolving around a sun with a moon going around them the planet is stationary and they have there are these two enormous creatures that essentially pull the sun and the moon around the planet oh neat okay. yeah and the guardian's job is to kind of oversee uh that that creature and that tower essentially and make sure that everything is going as it's supposed to and sort of what the premise is of this is that there is um all uh, a an individual has been chosen by the previous guardian of the moon, and he's been, um, you know, raised and groomed to do this job his entire life. But when the time comes to choose, 
he's not the one chosen for it. It is, in fact, our main character, this small little nobody uh, who, of course, is eager to prove himself and now yeah. must step into this enormous role. Joe Plummer. Uh, <laughs> um, Billy Every Kid. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure the character's name is Moon, which is like, oh, wow, yeah, of course. Of course. Um, but he messes it up, his first job. The moon gets essentially destroyed and he has to bring everything yeah. back into balance. And he does this by working together with people from the side of, you know, daylight. And the there are creatures from the in-between as well. They all have to work together to restore this balance. I love that. So I, I really like the idea that they're I, I like the idea of a cosmology that is based on an actual living creature, right? right? That the stars and the planets and the moons and things like that are great celestial beings that circle around and cause all of the, you know, the natural phenomena, the the rising of the tides and night and day and things like that are basically at the whim of these giant beasts. Yeah. I think that's a really, really awesome starting point that there's so much interesting that you could do there. Right. Um, you know, what if the if the moon being or whatever has a, you know, a nasty breakfast and they don't show up for work <laughs> one day and suddenly there's no moon in the sky? How do people react? You know? Well, that's kind of the thing. So um, I think you would love about the designs of these two enormous creatures that pull the sun and moon around is that they're very reminiscent of you love the game Shadow of the Colossus. Yes, I do. Each of these beings look as if they were kind of pulled from that game. Cool. And the thing, the, the moon uh, creature, it looks kind of like a mix between an emu and a giraffe. And okay. it's just, it's monumental. <laughs> and it has sort of this like harp inside of its body that is always being like played this kind of melody. And when the harps, like when the strings snap, like it loses its kind of tranquility and it freaks out and it starts running across the earth and it makes the moon go crazy because it's dragging the moon behind it and it's just like all these really cool things that they kind of touched on so i'm gonna try and maybe bring in some interesting some, some celestial chaos yeah some visual bit, yeah. <laughs> imagery from that movie uh cool. to see what i can inspire i like it i i like it a lot um i also really like the idea of there being sort of a champion of each side yeah is neat and especially that the champion is you know, just your everyday Joe Schmo, like little kid or whatever. I mean, that, that's something that we sort of talked about. We have some ideas of the kinds of things that we want to establish for these kingdoms. And one of the things I thought would be cool to talk about would be what kind of famous people are there? Are there celebrities? Are there great warriors? Are there great wizards? Things like that. Um, I think that could be really neat. And building up some of these stories and legends from these kingdoms could be a really fun thing to do. Absolutely. Uh, as well, to sort of fill in the fill in the, the gaps. Yeah. Um. I had uh, actually kind of a, I think, a similar idea. So, I mean, we both were going with sort of the yin and yang aspect of this, right? That there's right. a light in the dark, which I agree is kind of the, the coolest and probably most important foundational concept of this world, at least was the impression that I was getting. Um, and what it made me think of was from Dark Souls, the city of Anerlondo and the city of New Londo, and how they're kind of positioned as these opposites, right? So something that I think is really cool about Dark Souls that um, the structure of that game is a part of the way it tells stories, right? There's this interesting verticality where when you play the game uh, and you get to the Firelink Shrine, the starting zone, you're essentially right in the middle. And it's supposed to be kind of a metaphor for you know, humanity, like existing on earth or in this like place in between heaven and hell. Right. And so when you play, you can choose to either go up or go down. And the further down you go, mm -hmm. the darker and grittier and more scary everything gets. And it's much more hell like there's areas that are literally pitch black. And one of the areas that is down below the Firelink Shrine is this ruined city called New Londo, mm -hmm. that it's a city that was once grand and beautiful. And the I, it's I, I'm not 
100% positive on the exact lore of it, but I know that there was uh, an attempt to access the abyss, which is like the great oh, cool. darkness, right? And these summoners who were trying to uh, access the abyss ended up, uh, they they failed in their in their attempts to access it, or they, they opened it up and couldn't control it. And so what they did was they flooded the entire city to seal it off so that nobody could get in there. And so that's one of the things you have to accomplish in this game is you have to, you know, lower the water level so you can get into the abyss and fight the four kings boss which is down there which is this like horrifying abyss corrupted uh group of kings that you fight very um, cool it's, it's a really really neat fight and it's one of the cooler fights mechanically in the game because um they're all on a timer right so mm -hmm. the longer the fight takes the more kings continue to spawn dang and if you're not killing them fast enough they so they have a shared health pool but if you're not like killing each one of them individually fast enough, more will just continue to spawn and overwhelm you, which I think is really, really neat. Um, in contrast to New Londo, there is Anor Londo, which is this beautiful kingdom of the gods that is mm -hmm. it's at the top of the Dark Souls map. And it's this, you know, incredible rays of sunlight. And it's yeah. the home of Gwyn and Guinevere, the, you know, the, the daughter of sunlight and the sunlight king. And it's these incredible like gothic flying buttresses and these huge cathedrals. And the contrast of these two things is really, really interesting where um, they're both cities that are empty, but kind of for different reasons. And there's a different sort of tone to their emptiness where mm -hmm. Anorlando is populated only with ghosts and the dark wraiths, which are these like it's this horrible covenant of warriors that steal your your soul energy. And in Anorlando, it's just empty because the gods have left and yeah. only the beauty remains that, you know, that they left behind. So cool. Um, you really can't go wrong if you want inspiration for world building than to look <laughs> at Dark Souls. For sure. That's absolutely uh, correct, I think. They, oh. uh, a better and more interesting fleshed out world than really any other video game I can think of. Any other fantasy video game I can think of in a long time. Yeah. No, um, it's just... Video game series. The uh, detail in the history is incredible. Yeah. And we've probably talked about this before, but there is a, a YouTube channel, and you'll have to say the name because I yes. don't recall, of a guy who has gone in and created videos about, you know, filling in the details about the lore of all these different characters yeah. and locations. And it feels as if, you know, you're you're sitting in on like a college lecture about, you know, ancient civilizations. Yeah. The way that he goes into these these details about these places and their history. Yeah, so that would be Vati Vidya. Um really big deal uh content creator in the Dark Souls uh community and YouTube community. He was actually brought in by FromSoft to consult on a lot of their, you know, strategy guides and to kind of help them uh explain the worlds and and uh you know, the Dark Souls doesn't really spoon feed you the story you have to go out of your way to kind of get it and he has gone very far out of his way <laughs> to so sort great. of part the curtain a little <laughs> bit and, and see behind the scenes and, and understand what dark souls is all about and mm -hmm. i think it's really really cool um I, I love all the work that he's done and i love the world of of dark souls um, yeah in all of the games so <laughs> um yeah. so my next uh a couple of kingdoms that I want to draw inspiration from is I, I feel like we would be amiss in talking about kingdoms if we did not touch on the seven kingdoms of Game of Thrones. Yes, um, of course. I think that is obviously, I mean, I would be, you know, preaching to the choir if I said, oh, he did a good job of building yeah. all this out. No, duh. <laughs> did you um, know that George R.R. <laughs> R. Martin is a good writer? <laughs> That's um, our hot take for the week. 
There are, um, for me personally, three kingdoms that stand out uh, among the seven that I think are just kind of really cool. Yeah. And they mostly all have to do just with location and the cool, the visual coolness yeah. of them. I think um, the veil is awesome. I yeah. love that it's kind of built up there. And even though I don't like the ruler of that area and yeah. the way that she uses her hole of death. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, uh, the, the eerie. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I do think it's amazing that you have a castle up there and you could push your enemies uh, to their death. <laughs> through, through the moon door, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of sun and moon. I agree. Um, I, well, and I think visually that's such a neat place too because it's the kind of thing where it defies real like uh, – it, it, you can't. You couldn't really build something like that in real life, right? It right. looks like this fantastical, you know, giant city built up on just the the tiniest little mountain peak, and yeah. it's this huge, grand, sprawling thing that looks as though it's floating above the ground, which is so neat, right? Um, it's the kind of thing you would see you know, spray painted on the side of a van or something. No, on, totally. On a, like a rock concert. I, I think it's awesome. Well, I think um, <laughs> uh, one thing I'm noticing about the other, this and the other kingdoms I'm going to mention from the Game of Thrones is I feel like each one has certain like strategic um, in significance in its placement. I mean, yeah. isn't the Vale supposed to be almost impenetrable and they have a great big army that they can send out to help? Yeah. So the thing about the Vale is that the road leading up to it is it's like a very narrow path through this kind of craggy mountainous place. So, so it's for easy an for army, them to guard? It's, yeah, it's easy for them to guard because it would be very difficult for an army to get there. They would have to sort of funnel one by one. And then when you do get there, it's just this huge, you know, vertical, like smooth, imposing fortress. So, you know, even if you can get up to the gates of it, you can't really, you know, kick down the doors and rush your whole army and you have to climb up into right. it. And yeah, it's yeah. it's really, really interesting. So I love that. Um, I've also written down, um, I love the Iron Islands as well. Of course. Um, I just think, again, the fact that they're built on these like different pillars jutting out into the sea. I mean, that is a castle that will crumble and dies <laughs> eventually because yeah. the ocean keeps beating upon it. They'll pay the iron price. But I, oh man, okay. So that kingdom and those people, I love their toughness and their grit. I love that yeah. the way that they choose their king is that he has to drown essentially and then come back to life yeah it, it's kind of like a it's sort of like a tolkien-esque little prophetic loophole right where you know they say what is dead can never die but you've already died so right. how can you die again it's I think so it's, I mean, it's, cool it's the same as the like no man can kill the witch king of angmar and, right you know and eowyn is like well i'm no man obviously i think that's such a cool um that's very classically fantasy to me um, yeah that that sort of omen and prophecy and ah oh, that's so neat and i think one thing that we should that i want to take from this when when building our own kingdoms is i think details that really kind of flesh out a world and make it more yeah. believable is saying so like when talking about the reason why the people who um, come from the Iron Islands are so tough is because of the weather and the conditions that they've yeah, endured. Yeah, it sucks there. <laughs> and it makes sense that these people have become these incredible like fighters and sailors, and yes. it just builds out the understanding and the history of this place. And yeah. that's kind of what I want to tap into too, is to say, okay, let's look at you know what would the weather here do to people? Yeah. Like why are everyone in uh, the state of Washington like kind of gloomy and depressed? Oh, because it's <laughs> raining it all the all time, the time yeah. right? While the Californians are like woohoo summertime on the beach <laughs> oranges yeah. Beaches. yeah so like i think it's just kind of fun to look into those things and say how does this form the people i agree that the environmental considerations being a significant part of the culture of a location are super super cool yeah um, the way that people adapt to those things i think that's fascinating do you have a yeah. favorite kingdom from the seven kingdoms I, or so from game of thrones in general i really i think dorne is really cool mm -hmm. um i like that it's sort of um, kind of like Spanish, like like Andalusian, this yeah. sort of like beautiful, um, 
you know, tropical, almost kind of desert oasis paradise. Uh, also, um, the Red Viper is one of my favorite characters in the show. Uh, Ober- Oberyn Martell is just such a badass and like everything. I, I think... Um, and you kind of look like him. <laughs> well, thank you. Oh You're my welcome. gosh. Uh, At least right now with your shorter yeah. beard. <laughs> you grow it um, out and then nah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I think um, we got a little bit robbed in the show that Dorne wasn't featured in a more interesting way or more heavily. All the stuff that happened in Dorne was just, I felt a little bit weak, but mm. I... I love the actual, you know, all the book lore behind Dorne and all the things that happen there in the books are really, really interesting. And all the characters from Dorne are really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Oberyn Martell is just a badass. So I, I would say <laughs> Dorne is uh, probably one of my favorite kingdoms in in uh, Game of Thrones. Other than, you know, and there's the obvious ones. Like, anybody can say, well, yeah, the North is cool because the Starks are badasses or whatever. But, like, yeah, but- that's, that's sort of like a... Like, kind of a basic answer, I think, in See, my opinion. <laughs> I would say, though, I mean, the North is cool for the family. I like the family. But mm-hmm. I feel like, um, and sorry, what is the name of their... The Starks. Oh, Winterhold. Win- Winterfell. Winterfell. I think Winterfell is kind of a boring castle compared yeah. to some of the other ones we've seen, at least visually. I yeah, mean, it, it's, sure. it does its job. I think the coolest thing about it is the um, uh, the oak... Um, yeah, the, the weirwood trees. Yeah, yeah. the weirwood tree the, or whatever it's called. The, um, whatever, um, the forest, I don't remember. Yeah, that they well, have Game that. of Thrones has been over for a while, you guys. We don't think about this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's kind of the coolest aspect of that is that they have that yeah. in their little like courtyard. But everything else about that castle, I'm like, eh, that's kind of boring. Well, I but... do think that there are a lot of interesting details about the castle that are, you know, they, they talk about how the castle is designed in such a way that you know, 50 men could hold it off from right. an army of 500 or something like that. It's or, very you know, I think sturdy. Really yeah. yeah, for and sure. That's, it's not there for panache and visual appeal. It's like, no, we yeah. are a boulder of strength and that's what we are. It's practical yes. and imposing, which I think is like the, the practicality of it, I think, is the most perfect fit for the the north in game of thrones is that they eschew all luxury they live in this kind of cold miserable place Mm -hmm. and they essentially say nothing that doesn't serve us practically is super important to us it's just about being able to kind of get by in the best way you possibly can and building a real real good castle it's impossible to knock down (laughs) it's a big part of that i think that's really really neat absolutely yeah i like that um yeah, Dorne would be mine still, though, I think. Cool. <laughs> what else you got in your list? Uh, so I did, I wanted to talk about, um, I guess talking about the North uh, a little bit made me think of another cool kingdom from Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Dark Souls 3, the kingdom of Irithyll, which I think is a really, really cool place because um, you hear about Irithyll throughout the game. It's sort of like a mid to late game area. And uh, early on, you fight a couple of outriders from Irithyll, you, uh, or from, from the Boreal Valley, which is the area where Irithyll resides. And every single one of these warriors that you fight from Irithyll are, they're just completely different from each other. They're all, um, they're human-like creatures. It, it's, like, hard to really even say, hmm. because they're all sort of stretched out or, like, blown up, or, they're, you know, they're, like, a person, but they're just huge, and they crawl around like a beast. Interesting. Um, in very Dark Souls fashion, right? So the whole game, you're sort of like, man, the, the Boreal Valley place must be crazy. Like, what is this place like? Is that and where the dancer is from? That's where the dancer is from. Okay, cool. Um, so you finally get there in the late game, and it's this really, it's this beautiful, um, like kind of snow covered city and it's always like a crescent moon up in the sky and it's these huge beautiful white towers and all of the things that reside there are just horrifying you know murderous monstrous beasts that um it it feels a lot like um bloodborne a lot more like a bloodborne city than uh Hmm. than a dark souls city because it is this kind of grand gothic like 
you know, I don't know. You you get the feeling that somebody used to live here and everything just went went to crap. Oh, like, totally. You know, it just well, turned terrible. Everything you're describing makes me think of the original Beauty and the Beast fairy tale. Yeah. That he is like the, the prince of this great, grand, beautiful castle is this monstrous, disfigured creature. Yes. But he still dresses himself in the finest robes and wears the finest jewels yeah. and has these bountiful tables. But he's just trying to compensate for the life he used to know, even though he's yeah. this horrible thing. Yeah. And that's kind of what the, I mean, that's very much the, the Irithyll vibe is the residents of Irithyll are either monstrous, like horrible creatures, or they're just these husks that are, you know, they're, they used to be human and they've wasted away or kind of the, the, the high priests that, you know, hung on to their power that either was granted by the gods or through magic or whatever are the only ones that kind of look normal. They're Mm -hmm. these sort of tall, slender beings with extravagant beautiful armor and they have horrifying magic power and when you see them you know it's it's like they kill on sight situation right but (laughs) they just kind of wander the streets of irithyll like ghosts just sort of floating along and it's very spooky and very eerie and the whole the whole time you're there it, it almost it's like silent you know you're like waiting for you know a pin to drop basically um and you know, you'll be walking through the streets and suddenly you'll hear like, Arr! you'll hear somebody <laughs> shouting in the background. And you're like, ah, what is it? Oh, my gosh. Like, I, I think it's really a great balance of the visual kind of spookiness, the silence of it and this beautiful, you know, gentle snowfall that's yeah. coming down the entire time that you're there. This this sort of like celestial snowfall. It's really neat. We should look up when this is done uh, a video of the guy we just <laughs> talked about. See if he's got one on that. Maji video has a really cool video about Irithil and about Pontiff Sullivan, who the, who is the... Um, He's a sorcerer who is actually the cause of many of the events in Dark Souls 3, essentially, but he's kind of the the ruler of Irithil, and he's the last boss of that area. He's a really cool character, and he's got a really cool design, and also he sucks. He's one of the hardest bosses <laughs> in that game, in my opinion. He's got two nasty swords, and then also he can clone himself. So there's two guys with two... Na- oh, it's 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 terrible. Dude. Um, that being said, there's also... The, the speed run of that game beats him in seven seconds, I think. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's pretty good stuff. Uh, All right. Let's each share like one more. Yes. I, I have one more uh, only to share. So go ahead, Piper. OK. So I'm actually for my last one. I'm going to pull from uh, real life uh, Earth history and mm. reference uh, the kingdoms of ancient Egypt and Rome. Oh, I love that. Oh, very good call. OK. Well, thank you. And I mean, that may sound a little dull at first, but I think one of the things that's so amazing about these real life examples are just the grandeur the fact that they existed well exactly (laughs) like i love that mankind and even though the methods of using mankind to do this was not great because most of it was like slave labor well the pyramids are built by aliens everyone knows that obviously obviously everything else is done by slave labor um but i just love these impressive kingdoms that are when you see them it's all about these enormous statues and these monuments and these temples that they've constructed and it's incredibly vain but it's a beautiful way of displaying your power and your resources to say you need to respect us when you walk into this kingdom because we're going to overwhelm you with the things we've created don't mess with us look at what we've done you look what we made all this you think we care about you coming in here and and threatening us intimidating us like nobody would step up to the pharaoh and challenge him to a a, you know take off their glove and slap him in the face or whatever they would right no one would ever do that oh my gosh it's just i love that these are real things that people have done yeah, i think that's neat and i think that's so cool uh, you know the the aqueducts right yes. like the the 
the infrastructure and the I, I remember reading I was taking a um course about uh German and Central European history a few years ago and we talked a lot about the Roman expansion into Germany and how that was sort of like the furthest that Germany ever got was to the uh Is that the, part of like what the Ottoman Empire Empire? No, the Ottoman Empire is something totally different. That came different? Yeah, that's that's a different thing. Well, we can cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> Not the same thing. Um, no. no, so uh, the the Romans uh tried to expand into Germany and they got as far as I think the Elba River and um Arminius or Herman the German mm-hmm. essentially beat them back right and that was sort of the beginning of one of the one of the big events that signaled the downfall of the the holy roman empire he did it single-handedly with one blow single-handedly with one blow yeah (laughs) um and i and i think there was this really interesting sort of anecdote where they talked about how after the holy roman empire fell they had expanded into all of these places right and they had built these roads and and these buildings and this infrastructure that the technology that they had to support that infrastructure and to create that infrastructure didn't really exist anywhere else. So for hundreds of years after the fall of the Holy Roman Empire, all of these incredible things that they had built that, you know, the, the, the highways all across Europe were just falling into disrepair because no other culture, no other major world power at the time had the technology to maintain them or to construct them in that way. I thought that was so neat. Yeah. Um, and then that was one of the main sort of, um, like that was the thing that kind of powered the Holy Roman Empire is sort of the efficiency of their of their expansion and their trade and, and their infrastructure was really valuable. You know, what you just described about how no other culture had the technology to maintain these things, that alone just instantly made me think of a story idea for like a sci-fi setting of, you know, what if there are this like these these worlds that this one alien force has come through and conquered yeah. and it left all of its alien tech behind, but each like planet like maybe together like revolted against them and set them away, but now they're left over with all of this stuff. It's kind of like in District 9 yeah, when yeah. they have the alien technology, but they don't have they the don't ability to use it. To use it. it. Really. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's think, really, really cool. That I mean, could you know, be a story. How do you, if, if I traveled back in time and I won the Revolutionary War with, by bringing a machine gun, right? Right. And then I left that machine gun there. It'd be pretty cool for a hot minute for those guys, right? They'd be like, oh, we got a machine gun. We can take over the world, right? But then when they were out of bullets, they're like, I wouldn't really know how to make these. So, <laughs> you know? Right. I think that's really interesting. Then it just becomes a beautiful trophy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I can see it. King George mounting a, a giant machine gun up above the throne. Love it. <laughs> Wonderful. What's your last kingdom so reference? So, my last one, I, I thought about talking about Camelot just because that's sort of the classic, right? <laughs> it's only a model. It, it's, it's only a model. Yeah. Um, it is also kind of a silly place. So, uh, we don't like to go to Camelot or talk about Camelot. So, I thought instead I would talk talk about one of my favorites. So here's here's maybe a bit of a hot take for starters. Oh boy. Um, I think hands down the best modern Final Fantasy game is Final Fantasy 12. And I guess by modern what I mean is like post PlayStation 1 era Final Fantasy game, right? So um the thing that I think is so interesting about Final Fantasy 12 is that rather than go with this um you know all all the games prior to that were I think much more uh, rooted in kind of the more traditional like JRPG visual style. All, everything was, you know, designed by Yoshitaka Amano, who's an, an amazing artist who I love, who I'm, I'm pretty sure we've talked about on the show before, but it had kind of a very similar, there, there were visual cues and aesthetic choices that were sort of a through line through all of the games up until this point, right? And with Final Fantasy XII, 
Um, it, it centers around the kingdom of Dalmasca, which they made a very conscious effort to, instead of going with the sort of traditional way of designing things in, in Final Fantasy games, they said, we want to have a much more uh, kind of non-Asian or, or um, like Western sort of middle ground uh, aesthetic design here. And so they went to Turkey and studied a lot of sort of the, the Ottoman uh, designs of hey. things and, the, and, and all of the, you know, the, the intricacies of like the, you know, the fine woodworks and the buildings and, and the, these sort of like desert oasis sort of towns. And I, I remember reading about how they sent out their art team to go and, you know, do sketches and take all of this. And the visual style of Damasca represents that in a very, very interesting way that is totally different. It was a huge turning point for the Final Fantasy franchise. Uh, it looks beautiful. The game is also just really, really good. It, it's sort of like what an MMORPG would be like if you played it by yourself, which makes it sound not very good, actually. <laughs> um, but it's I, I think it's a good sort of facsimile of the MMO type experience, but distilled down into a single player game. I mean, the name um, of the place literally sounds like a play on the word yeah, damascus exa exactly yeah damasca and uh so damascus is the kingdom the capital is rabanaster and then there's like rapidash? all these like ra rapidash yes rapidash <laughs> is the capital of it um it's just a really really cool place and it's it's inspired um by a very different sort of culture and visual style and like architecture than final fantasy games prior to that um and they actually sort of launched a sort of a, originally their plan was that they would have uh, a sort of suite of Final Fantasy games that existed in this kind of project under the sort of umbrella. Um, and that project kind of took a lot of different forms over the years and didn't really materialize in the way that they had originally intended it to. But I still think that what they did do in that world was fascinating. I, cool. I love everything in the the Final Fantasy twelve, the the uh, Ivalice and Saint Ivalice uh, world. So the, the games that ended up existing that were Tactics, Tactics Advance, Final Fantasy twelve. Um and then I think a few other sort of spinoffs here and there, but uh, it's beautiful and I wish they would do more with it. I wish they'd go back to that because I just miss Final Fantasy XII a lot. Oh, man. <laughs> I miss I miss good Final Fantasy games is what I'm trying to say. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So I wish I could give you more, but I have zero context. That's totally okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll pull up some screenshots for you later, but everybody else should go and look up screenshots of Delmasca or, or of Ivalice or Saint Ivalice or Final Fantasy XII because it's gorgeous. Duly noted. Yeah, there you Early go. Early rec room. <laughs> Early rec room. Final <laughs> Fantasy twelve for you there. Um, so I think on that note, we've done a good job at laying the groundwork here. And we yes. have a lot to talk about this week, yeah. building out these kingdoms. So uh, should we go ahead and dole out some prompts here, Piper, well, for, for our, our building of these kingdoms? Absolutely. So the first thing, I've pulled up a coin flip yes. app on my phone, because um, we're going to flip a coin first and decide uh, who is going to be building the kingdom of uh, the sun or Solux, and who's mm -hmm. going to be building the kingdom of the moon, Lum uh, Lunumbra. Yes. Um, so Sam, I, how should we do this? Should we say... Heads or tails, and then whichever one you choose, you get to pick? Yes, I, I like that. I like that. Okay. You, you can pick heads or tails if you want. So what do you what do you want? Do you want heads or tails? Um, I'll take tails. Okay, so if you get tails, you get to pick if you want sun or moon. Cool. All right. All right. I've, I'm picking a waggly tail. I feel like somehow we still made this really complicated. We did. <laughs> um, oh, man. I'm gonna, I hope I don't win because I don't have to choose. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> Oh, Tails, Tails, I have to choose All now. Right. What are you choosing, Piper? Oh, my God. Um, Sam, pick evens or odds for me. Evens. Okay, sun. Okay, so you you got the sun. Yeah. Perfect. That's actually exactly what I wanted was to have the, the night. 
Awesome. Uh, and I think this is an interesting, you know, we always joke, you're the one that takes it dark at the I time. I know, so yeah. it's kind of a nice little switcher up for us, switcheroo. I kind of prefer this because I feel like it'll challenge me to think outside of my, out of side my box. Because I'm. <laughs> yes. it's easy for me to tap into my dark shadowy side. For sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, so. Piper, Piper's TKO is coming out here. Oh my God. That's an OKKO reference. For I everybody. wanted to talk about OKKO. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm just, call me shadowy venomous. Yes, like, it's yes. fine. <laughs> um, okay, so. Okay, so I am developing the kingdom based around um, Solux. Solux, and the, you the have... The gold dragon sun god, yes. Yes. Okay, so I've been thinking about this a little bit while we were brainstorming. Yeah. Uh, and I think one thing that I want to ask you about this world, and hopefully um, our good friend doesn't mind if we uh, take certain liberties he with this. He said to go nuts. Okay, so. so cool. We're going nuts. We're <laughs> the, doing the it. The only other feedback he gave uh, to me about this was that he said he definitely wanted us to include our uh, the Fey Tavern. That's sort of the... The crossing between worlds from oh, our taverns episode, which we thought was really cool that you enjoyed that. But yeah. uh, that that we can just assume is in the world somewhere. Yes. Uh, maybe that's at maybe that is a place that is equidistant between our kingdoms. Well, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, but so what I wanted to ask you was, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. does our world, does our planet, does it follow the same laws of science that Earth does? Like, does it orbit a sun and therefore no matter what yeah. kingdom, they will equally experience night and day? Or are these two places locked in eternal night or eternal day? So that's actually a really interesting question. I, so... There are a lot of options, right? We we could have, I I want to maybe just throw this out there, touch on the idea of sort of the celestial beasts powering night and day, right? What Mm -hmm. if, what if these two kingdoms, the the Lunumbra and Solux were in constant struggle with each other and it was basically a like pendulum swinging back and forth. So they're always sort of in this mind battle between each other. And when Solux is winning, it's daytime. And when Lunumbra is winning, it's nighttime. And it kind of swings back and forth. See, I was just envisioning a very similar sort of creation story or creation myth, which is the idea that the sun is the eye of the great golden dragon and the moon is the eye of the great night dragon and they are forever chasing each other around the earth that's cool i like that more i like the chase aspect of it cool that's really neat and so if these two are the like mother and father essentially that created the world itself it's kind of this sad like romance this tragic romance that they're pursuing one another forever but they will never meet except under moments of eclipse oh i love that yeah that's when of course we have to include the the eclipse uh in this right Yes, yes 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 okay cool sweet okay so we have so both kingdoms will experience night and day in a regular kind of way. Yes. And what I like about that is one thing I was brainstorming is, is that I think it'd be really interesting that, so for example, if if somebody came to your kingdom during the day, it would seem like a ghost town because I think everyone would be like inside uh, and only at night oh, cool. does the place kind of awaken. I like that. And I feel like the same would be sort of the reverse for my city where if you came during the day, everyone's out and about. But if you come at night, like... All the doors are shut. No one is seen outside. I like that. I So I I think something that's really cool about this is that we have the potential to have these cities be literal mirror opposites of each other, yeah. right? That anything that you establish about Solux or anything that I establish about Lunumbra, we can maybe just assume the exact opposite will be true of the other place. I think generally, yes. But yeah. obviously, there's always exceptions. Yeah, for sure. Yes. For sure. Uh, yeah, unless we experience a total eclipse of the heart. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is the time when all of yeah. the uh, star-crossed lovers get to yes, meet exactly. and uh, embrace and fall in love. <laughs> or a, a total eclipse of the dragon heart. Oh my god, How cute. That? Cute. I love it. Okay, Let's, so... Sh- so we, we do need to get some prompts here, yes. right? So uh, what we're going to do this week for our prompts in a similar style as we've done in the past with some of our kind of bigger uh, topics is we'll be each of us taking three prompts and we will sprinkle them in like, like so much... Uh, candy uh coated sugar on little cookies uh through our, our creations sam i just generated the three perfect words for you oh my gosh what are they perfect? um your words uh that you will be using to inspire the building of your night kingdom are neck okay shiver Ooh. and frogs <laughs> okay neck shiver and frogs, frogs. uh oh, i like that okay <laughs> i in case people shiver- get froggy <laughs> ribbit (laughs) so the shiver is the first thing that i want to talk about here and that brings me immediately back to the discussions of irithil how it's this spooky snowy nighttime city and i really want to pull from that i think i i wonder if it's maybe something where um in every single night in lunumbra there is a point where and it, it, it reaches like absolute zero, like peak cold. And wow. so even the people who live here have to go inside. And that's basically the when the power of Lunumbra reaches its peak. If there it when uh, so the the concept of um like Earth being at the the apogee or the uh apex, maybe? That when when we are closest or furthest away from the sun. Yes. Right? So I think it would be something that's interesting is every single night. As Lunumbra and Solux chase each other around Stadavita, um, there's a point where Lunumbra reaches uh, is as close as it ever gets to Stadavita, and at that moment, anyone who is outside freezes to like a statue because the the shiver and the the chill and the magical night energy in the air is so intense that even the beings here who are kind of attuned to that power can't handle it. Are you sure you haven't seen the movie Moon? Because, is that what happens in Moon? Well, there are a series of characters who are just made of wax, and every night when it gets too cold, they get stuck in a little shape until the sunlight comes and thaws them, and then they're able to move around See, that's again. that's so interesting. I, I think I was maybe channeling more like the traditional uh, vision of like trolls that yeah. the sunlight causes them to turn to stone yeah. but instead it's the the chill of the night air oh that's when so it gets cool too intense. i think that that's definitely what i want i want there to be a point every single night where anyone who stays out on the street will will turn to stone or to like an icy marble and how and then, long does this last like one hour i i think this is probably something that because if they're if everyone is ex- like is most active at night i would think that them being frozen for a certain amount of time would be kind of a hindrance yeah, I wonder. So I think there's different – there are a lot of different directions to go with it. I think it would be something that's cool that it's just a permanent thing that happens. If you don't observe and respect the power of Lunumbra, you suffer this this cruel fate, right? But at the same time, I think we could also maybe assume that this is a civilization that is sufficiently advanced, that they have some type of magical safeguards in place against this, that they've gotten to a point where they can't stop this chill from – you know, cutting you to the core, but they can at least make its effects not permanent. They can reverse these effects. Okay. So um, you were thinking that if somebody got caught out at that time, they'd be frozen forever. Yeah, exactly. Dang. Yeah. Dangerous place. If you don't smear lamb's blood on your forehead every night, right? then uh, the, the fell wind will turn you to a 
statue of a lamb it'll come and get you (laughs) yeah um that's very cool i think one thing that would be neat about that is that if someone a visitor came to your kingdom there would be these very ominous signs that would say do not be out at this time or else um like beware the freeze and lots of kind of spooky warnings and people are like you know the visitors would be very alarmed by this but those who live here like it's just the way it is well they you know they would call it the shiver the shiver nice because i think right before you reach that moment you feel a shiver up your up your spine up i your love neck. that and so that's when you know i have to get inside i have to go and be i, I have to be somewhere that is protected from this magical chill very cool uh, and that's that would be something that you know any yeah exactly any travelers not from this area would have to take heed of um and if you don't learn that right away if you don't follow the crowd when it's you know when it's chow time you're you're gonna have a bad time makes sense yeah. so i actually have another really quick thought about the the shiver here i think there could be a really interesting sort of mythology built up around it that maybe this is like a cautionary tale that parents tell their children they say you know beware of the the chill of the night and embrace the shiver when you feel the shiver you know that's lunumbra in her in her infinite grace telling us you must go inside i am protecting you from this cold by sending you this sign of the shiver and so that's maybe like a way to Maybe to some people, they view it as like, no, 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 no. We just tell our children that to keep them from running around at night. But it actually has like a physical effect. It's like people, it's like telling your children stories about the boogeyman or whatever, but it's 100% real. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wonder too, if because as you say, the reason it gets this cold is because that's when they are closest to the moon. I would think that if for whatever reason, someone was out and about and they couldn't get inside and they felt the shiver and they froze... I feel as if in this culture, because that person, it would be maybe be viewed that they were seen under the direct eye of Lunumbra. And it's almost as if oh. it's not a sad thing if someone dies this way because it says, oh, no, you looked right into the dragon's eye and she took you with her. Lunumbra is taking you into her bosom. Yeah. Or and, so I think. become one. Yes. Right. So definitely people would feel their own sort of loss and sadness, but it would not be a big tragedy. It would just say, well, if anyone, if there, if there was a way to go, I'm glad that they went with our 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 god i like that a lot i also like the idea that when they leave their body stays behind as just like a statue of ice and then it melts when the day comes and that's, so there's like sort of this artifact left behind that people can see well their spirit joined lunumbra in the sky chasing solex for all of eternity and that is a great honor in in our kingdom and their body will melt into the earth and become one with the city and everything is part of this big circle that is very beautiful thank you i like it a lot that's very very nice um i'm gonna start talking about my three prompt yes, words yes what are your prompt words here piper so the words that i got were somber mm. organic and whistle somber organic and whistle so the first word that stands out to me is organic and it makes yeah. me think of growth and plants and food and things like that chlorophyll uh i was already thinking that a place which values sunlight would have a very strong agricultural uh culture um and one thing that i agriculture well yes one thing that i was thinking um made a lot of sense is i think this city i feel like 
it has many symbols that represent different things to it. But one of the symbols that they really enjoy is that of the sunflower. And I think okay. as you approach the My Kingdom, um, which I will think of a name of a little later, um, but once you approach My Kingdom, you have to make your way through fields and fields of sunflowers. Hmm. I think that's kind of how they welcome you to their land. Is I like that. By built, they plant sunflowers all along the main roads, so you always have this kind of greeting when you're coming towards them. Oh, that's really cool. I sunflowers i think are i don't know a, a sunflower it it feels like imposing like it feels like a statue to me it it's doesn't very feel big like plant. a plant they're humongous yeah. yeah and it makes me think of actually um so we we watched one or two episodes of this together but um an anime that i really really love uh samurai Champloo. yeah um it's produced by the same uh team that did cowboy bebop and it's kind of meant to be a companion piece to that a little bit where cowboy bebop is like sci-fi and jazz mm -hmm. in space and samurai champloo is um like kind of hip-hop and samurai in the edo period of japan and one of the main plot lines in that is fu the the young girl she's trying to find her father and she hires jean and mugen these two wandering uh ronin to kind of escort her. And the the only clue that she has to go with is that she remember her father always smelled of sunflowers. Oh, that's nice. And so the whole series, she's like, we're looking for the, the samurai who smells of sunflowers. And, you know, this person you come to learn has a bit of a reputation. So there's certain places where she goes where people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. And there's other places where she goes where people are like, you don't ask about that person. Interesting. And this really, yeah, it's a, I think it's a really cool, very faint clue that you know if, if that was all you had to go on to find this kingdom for example you yeah. follow the smell of sunflowers or you know sunflowers always face the sun if you're always facing the sun as you travel you will find your way to solux i like that yeah. well so one of the things i kind of want to add a sort of fantasy element to these plants i don't think they should just be normal earthly sunflowers i think because already sunflowers are rather large I would like these to be sort of uh, dire sunflowers. Dire sunflowers. Yeah. I like that. So they're, they're... even bigger. Than... <laughs> Are they the sneezing plants from, from, uh, Hook? from Hook? Yeah, yeah I was thinking about that, you? right? <laughs> they like kind of watch you as you walk past. Um, well, no, I think maybe because you were talking about how one of the things we should establish about our different kingdoms, there should be an area of wilderness. Yes. I think yes. um, they, they do have what we would consider normal sized sunflowers, but they also have a sunflower forest. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. Thanks. Which that like would redwood sunflowers. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. When you're walking through it, you would think maybe these are just giant tree trunks, but as you look up, the canopy of these enormous blooms. Oh, so cool. Like so, like you know, we we talk about all the time in the show how much we love the idea of megafauna. Yes. But megaflora. Megaflora. The, the idea of just a. A massive, beyond massive, a skyscraper of a plant. Yeah. So cool. So one thing I think, okay, I'm getting a lot of ideas from this. I think that these enormous sunflowers would have also caused that as the sunflowers evolved to this size over time, the insects would have grown with them. So okay. I think in my kingdom, it's not uncommon that people can ride like dragonflies or giant bumblebees. Oh, cool. And these are their modes of transportation. You could hop on one and you'll bzzz and like fly like, over like to the other. Like Donatopia vibes from this a little bit. Yay! Insectopia. Aw, big bugs. <laughs> big old bugs. That's fine. Um, so I think there are definitely um, large insects that people can ride uh, to fly around. And so they have almost sort of like an air force out of that. Ooh. If they ever needed to go to war, they could attack from above on their big bugs. Um, but then also one thing I thought would be really cool, because another thing on your list that you said that we should kind of develop is the ideas of who are sort of the leaders of these areas. I yeah. think the uh, the leader of my kingdom... 
I don't want, I think, so we've discussed in previous episodes about how do you determine lineage when building out uh, a monarchy. Remember yeah. that episode? Yeah. Um, remember that? Remember. <laughs> Our listeners remember, that's for sure. They love that one, I know. Oh my god. But so, um, I think in this kingdom, the, the next king, uh, or queen, the leader is not decided by bloodline. So like, if you give birth, that child is not going to become king or queen. I think there is a great ceremony in which, there are certain chosen ones who are identified at an early age and they are brought out to like this one special field of sunflowers. And if all the flowers look to you, then you are the next leader. Oh, th- there's a test. It's kind of like divine right, but it's manifested in a different way. Right. That's awesome. Thanks. Because yeah. I think if the sunflowers automatically, you know, turn towards the sun, whoever has the most sunlight within them, they yeah. will know to, they will know and they will look to that person. So Solaire of Astora would be the, the champion of sunlight. Of, Obviously. Of all times. I like this idea of sort of a tribunal that they are judged by the, the this megaflora the sunflowers that are you know manifestations of the sun's power and that they are the the organic beings that grow from the sun's light and sun's magical energy they are the ones that make the decision so yes. ma- ma- that would be kind of a you know we talked about the weirwood trees in game of thrones right. and how they're sort of this link to the old gods and you can commune with these ancient on you know old ones through these trees that would be kind of a neat thing is these beautiful sunflowers have kind of like a spooky connection to the this great celestial power or this this power of the old gods you can commune with them through the sunflowers and they will answer you and they will help steer your life in a meaningful way definitely Yeah. yeah so i think there's definitely a they've built their uh political system around this about choosing their leader but definitely there would be a sort of religious uh, identity built around the connection with these flowers as well. Cool. I like it. Sweet. How, I'm curious now how we're going to tie somber into this because I feel like this is a really beautiful, happy place. Like I'm curious where that's going to uh, where that's going to come in. Well, okay. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm not a fan of having everything be like black and white. I don't yeah. want my sun kingdom to be everything's happy all the time. <laughs> I mean, there are definitely there. Are, you can get a sunburn. It's bad times. Well, it's just like any other city. There yeah. are criminals here and there are, yeah. there are crimes that happen. And sometimes, you know, bad things happen. They go to war with other places, maybe yeah. even with your kingdom. We haven't decided yet how we are related to one another. But there are definitely people who have, you know, their own issues and family dramas and all kinds of stuff. And so... I want to bring some kind of internal conflict, I think, that will have to do with this somber identity, because this is not a place that's all like singing in flowers all the time. Yeah, for sure. I think maybe, maybe from the outside, my kingdom has the reputation and the appearance of this perfect, sunny, happy place, but maybe this like political system that I've just described in which the leader is chosen by the plants... Maybe there's an, a sect of people within the kingdom who say, why are we letting flowers decide who rules us? We as the people <laughs> should say what is best for us, not these okay. plants. And so maybe there is some a great deal of political and civil unrest. Yeah. That's kind of, it's not something that's like commonly talked about in public spaces, but at night when everyone goes inside and no one goes it's out. It's kind of boiling up. Well, exactly. Scenes, People yeah. are gathering and they're whispering and they're they're talking over their drinks in their taverns and they're saying, yeah. this is not the way it should be. That's interesting. I like that a lot. I Let, let me also put this out here for you because I had just an interesting thought about the relationship between these two kingdoms, right? So I think it should definitely be something where both of these kingdoms know about each other, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, Stadavita as a whole is comprised of 
these two sort of halves, the, the Solux half, the, the daylight, mm-hmm. and the Lunumbra half, the, the darkness. And that balance is really interesting to me. And I think it would be a cool thing if each city viewed the other only through like the legends of that city and no one from one city has ever been to the other at this point in history right interesting they know that the other one exists but they don't have the means to get there yet and maybe you know there's a lot of things that could explain that maybe is as, there an ocean between us well maybe there's an ocean between us or maybe there's maybe there's some kind of the, the barrier between night and day is like a physical thing it's mm-hmm. not just like the pro- the the progression of time or maybe even um as lunumbra and solux chase each other around Stadavida, maybe there is actual like physical movement of these cities so the cities are always rotating on opposite sides so anyone from one city who tries to get to the other they have some kind of magical barrier that they have to pass to to overcome this this movement to get there interesting huh yeah, I, and, I have a lot of questions about yeah, how just, that would just work. Just like but throwing that out there, you know, like I, I don't know about. if that's necessarily the best way to approach this, but I do think it's something interesting that each city would view the other as kind of like, oh, it's like an Atlantis, like a lost city. We can't get there mm-hmm. with the technology we have now, but we know it's out there. We we heavily suspect that it's out there. Definitely. Um, and so they're trying to reach the other side, but they can't quite get there. And yeah. so maybe an interesting place, you know, for a party to start this is what if you're the first group to pass through the barrier and make it to the other side how do you how do you sort of reconcile that when all you've ever known is light Mm -hmm. how do you deal with the darkness or all you've ever known is darkness how do you deal with the light well we said that each experience is night and day yes of course yeah but you know relative to the experience of these cities yeah we did say that like the people of your kingdom spend most of their time out at night and they sleep during the day and then my people are the reverse okay so that makes that makes sense um i like the idea when thinking of sort of the geography of this planet um like if you were to head west trying mm-hmm. to get from one place to the other mm-hmm. uh one one direction would be halted by this great ocean and if you were to go to the east to try to get to the place then one like section would be halted by this great mountain range i like that and so maybe there are these two monumental barriers elemental forces that right. stop you essentially yeah exactly and you would have to deal with different conflicts depending on you know which way you attempted to cross so I like the idea of talking about earth and water as two barriers, right? And yeah. maybe that means that the sky is the the elemental force that doesn't try to stop us, that frees us. If we travel up through the sky, eventually we'll, you know, through some weird magical means, we'll find our way to the other city. That makes me think of cool. in um, the movie Fern Gully when at the beginning, <laughs> is her name Kira? I no, think- Kira... No, 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 no. It's, uh... What's her name? Obviously, it's Krista Piper. You big jerk. I looked that up. (laughs) So mean. Um, Krista is her name. Uh, When in the beginning of the movie, when they're like, don't fly above the canopy, never do that. And they say it because, you know, birds of prey can come and grab you. But she flies above the canopy and she can see farther than she's ever seen before. Yeah, it's dope. It's awesome. Right. And she can see (laughs) far off lands that she's never witnessed were there. Maybe someone from my kingdom is one day, like, flying their bumblebee or their their dragonfly. (laughs) or whatever great creature this is and they go up higher than they normally would above the cloud line or something yeah and they can get a glimpse of I I don't want to say the curvature of the earth because that's pretty high (laughs) this could be a flat earth we don't know that Stadavita could be flat I'm part of the the flat Stadavita society no get out of this (laughs) podcast you're vetoed Um, but maybe yeah they would see something and they would come back down and say okay we could describe now sort of what's beyond our kingdom. Yeah. Places for sure. we've never seen. For sure. 
Uh, yes. Okay, so do you have other thoughts about some of your words that I you do. want to incorporate? Okay. So I... Well, first off, before I look at more of my prompt words, I think we should maybe establish that within each of these kingdoms, there are multiple cities and settlements, right? So there's the capital of each city, which is Solux and Lunumbra, right? Right. But, oh, we're just naming them that? I thought that was the name of the gods. Well, I think that's what we called... Let's just call the capital cities that. that that's what I was kind of going on here. Okay, sure. Yeah, that makes sense, at least to me. Their manifestation. They're, those are the places where they like roosted or touched down. I don't know. Whatever. Sure, sure. Let's go with so, that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Within each of these kingdoms, there are smaller cities and settlements. So there is trade and commerce within each kingdom. So, you know, the capital may have one type of good that's, you know, a big deal. And all these like, you know, small farming communities and villages, maybe there's, you know, mining towns and there's farming towns and there's there's towns that have incredible blacksmiths and tool making and trade skills and things like that. So I, I kind of want to talk about what commerce looks like in each of these places and how they kind of get by and how they all work together to prop up this economy. So Definitely. I, I kind of want to know what is the most important, what is the most important resource that Solux controls and what is the most important resource that Lenumbra controls? And what would it be like if they were able to combine these resources? I think something that would be neat would be, you know, if, if uh, Solux was able to work like Mithril or they were able to like warp light into a metal or something like that and lunumbra doesn't have that ability but if they had that it would change everything for them and conversely if you know if um lunumbra could weave darkness into a, a silken uh you know fabric or something and they could make incredible clothing and magical garments out of this how would that change things in solux um, that is really cool to think about. Yeah, I mean, what, do you, I mean, I think those would be really neat things that they could do. Maybe those are chief exports that they kind of harness this magical energy and they can turn that into physical products that they can you know, ship all over their kingdoms. And yeah. when these two things meet, if we had access to the the light metal and the dark weave or whatever they, they could make the <laughs> ultimate weapon or the ultimate armor or the ultimate you know tool for the betterment of of civilization or yeah. something like that. Well, what it kind of sounds like, I feel like the next logical step of what you're describing is, is that the ultimate champion of this world would be someone who wears a chainmail armor of darkness and wields a sword of light. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's the thing, like sort of the, the yin yang yeah. side here is you have to have the balance between the two things. You have to be able to wield the light and the dark and understand mm -hmm. both sides of it to actually effectively be a champion of this world of, yeah. of Stadavita. I think that'd be very cool. I think definitely, I like this idea of channeling light into metal. Yeah. And I like the idea that if whatever they were combating other people, one of the things they'd be known for in battle is whenever the the soldiers of uh, Solux, they draw their swords is as if they are emitting light from them like themselves oh and it God. kind of yeah. blinds their enemies as they go charging at them that's cool whereas in the reverse if your soldiers are cloaked in darkness how can we possibly find you to attack I like that and i think that necessitates you know we have to assume that within each kingdom there are in these wild areas um you know, beasts that are not of the light or not of the dark. Right. You know, in, in Solux. <gasps> they are crepuscular. Exactly. My yes. favorite yes. word, a creature <laughs> of the dawn and the dusk. Oh, yes. These creatures that live in this liminal space between sun and moon and between night and day and light oh, and darkness. MG. Those are sort of the common enemy, right? That the things that crawl around in, in the dawn and dusk uh, that or are. Or maybe untangible. not. 
enemies at all, maybe just misunderstood creatures. Perhaps. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and maybe that's how, you know, these two kingdoms coming together can give each other a way to understand the, the corpuscular, the liminal creatures between the two. Okay, here's a thought. So if both your kingdom and mine are based on the major like times of day or sources of light that we have. Yes. And we've built our religions and everything around that. Yeah. So my kingdom, you know, prays to this dragon god of the sun and yours prays to this dragon god of the night. And if you went to these in-between places, right? Because uh, if these if these two deities and things are the sources of magic as well, perhaps these in-between places are areas of science. If, Maybe, If yes. they don't have a direct magic source they're pulling from, they had to be... They uh, had to develop a different They path. had to create on their yeah. own. And so I think... That's interesting. In those in-between zones, you would find more, like, uh, industry and people working on steam power and things like that. I like that a lot. I think this touches on... When I was sort of talking about Dark Souls and the, the Anor Londo versus New Londo ruins, that there's the height of the light and the depths of the darkness, and then there's a space in between where you kind of start. Mm -hmm. The idea that maybe both civilizations would view this in-between space as sort of a primitive and crude location, but really they're just as advanced as either side. They're just mm -hmm. misunderstood. What I'm really picturing here is that if I think both places would have legends of this in between yeah. and they would say things kind of like how you started being like, well, these are where the savage creatures live yeah. and they have no magic there. So they don't know. They are unled. They have no source of power. Yes. But I bet if somebody actually went there, I feel as if the people in the in between would be the most chill, the most totally, balanced. Totally. They're, like, literally they're balanced. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No. Oh, my God. Seriously. All things in moderation. Yeah. When our two, if someone from each of our kingdom went there they in comparison would be extreme zealots and like yeah. crazy yeah. like idealists where the people in the center are like no everything has its season and things will come and things will go and we've always lived this way and i like that we give what we're what's given to us we we all yeah i think it would just be a very kind of zen chill and, place and i think that makes sense because you know if in solux you would think we are a part of the light and the light is in us and we have some form of agency within the light that we have control here and in low number they would feel the same way about the darkness in this middle space they would say we don't control either side we we don't embrace either side we have to let things wash over us and we deal with it as it as it does so um i think that's really interesting i just i picture if you went to the middle lands there would be all of these like essentially like buddhist monks who are like making <laughs> you know different inventions and working on science yeah. okay so it's funny you would say monks because i was trying i was thinking about this i was thinking about what what worship of the light or dark looks like mm -hmm. in, in either of these places and also actually rewinding a little bit here first i had this really cool vision of um how light is harnessed and turned into this metal and i thought for me how, for yes me? Okay. yes yes was like how cool would it be if maybe light was you, you had to find areas of intense sunlight or intense like celestial light through these observatories they had these huge observatories where they would watch the stars and they would say okay in 12 days the the passage of the stars that will align in such a way that we will have the maximum amount of light coming into our kingdom in any day for the next five years or whatever. And they would build this giant prism that would separate all the light out and they would have a device that they would they would catch the light and they would literally pull 
like strands of metal out of this prism. Dang. Which I think would be so cool. It would like separate it out into beams of different color. Right? I really like that. Yeah, I think that would be really, really neat. They would have like a magic glove they would wear that they would they'd wave it around like cotton candy or something. Oh my gosh, I love that. I was literally yeah. picturing something similar, except mine was just an enormous magnifying glass. <laughs> that just <laughs> sure. channels that sunlight into a very powerful concentrated exactly. beam. I, I just I thought the idea of a prism or like yeah. a lens was the coolest. Well, part of it. now yeah. I'm getting images of from like the movie The Lighthouse when we finally see there's all that build up to what is that light and it is just simply the great uh that big crystal that's just spinning around up there can we do it together real quick how long have we been been on this this rock yeah (laughs) (laughs) go watch the lighthouse you guys it's uh well if you're if you're a little kid don't go watch yeah don't watch it if you're a kid it's definitely an adult movie it's real spooky and horrible uh but But if you're if you're an adult go watch it um so the other thing i wanted to think about was the the way that worshippers of the dark would channel the the dark energy and Mm i i just i was picturing you know imagine we're we're sort of stepping into let's let's just assume this is like a uh a tv series or something and there's all these like characters existing in this world we've seen them like interacting and like crawling around in the dark and hiding from the you know the icy grip of lunumbra and things like that and suddenly it just cuts to this monk that maybe maybe like a dragonborn monk or something a a black dragon uh sitting meditating in a room surrounded by candles on all side and they're focusing their energy as hard as they can they're at they're at the peak dark hours the the witching hour of the Mm -hmm. night right it's as dark as it ever gets and suddenly these candles start snuffing out one by one until a massive wave of these candles go and they all come out and that's sort of how they do it is they they snuff out the light with their kind of mind energy and it leaves behind these little motes of darkness where the light once was i like that um i i think i just i love the idea of thinking of ways that they harvest this resource is so fun to me and that they have to expend some of their life force to basically trade this this flame this light for a physical darkness are we going to bring in the laws of alchemy and say that they can't just make the light disappear it has to go somewhere are they pulling the light into their bodies or are they pushing the light into something else so maybe it's something like uh we we talked about in our magical systems episode a long time ago how um remember that remember that (laughs) one of my favorite um one of my favorite magical systems in any in any series is in the king killer chronicles how Alchemy is basically making connections between two things. Right. And so a lot of alchemists use the heat of their body as energy. And that's kind of like a rookie mistake because if you use the heat of your body and you expend too much of that, you'll basically freeze to death. You yeah. know, you'll, you'll suck all the air out of your lungs and all the heat out of your body and you'll just turn into a little popsicle, right? Um, maybe it's something like that. It's like a blood magic or like a life force magic type thing where they say, I will accept a little bit of the light into me. And in exchange, we will be granted these these physical motes of darkness that we can then harvest to use Very for, cool. you know, whatever purpose. I like it. Um, I have a question for you, by the way, because I talked about how a leader is chosen in my kingdom. Mm-hmm. What is mm-hmm. the uh, leadership like in where you are? Do you have a king and a I, queen? Yes. You know what? Okay. Here's what I'm thinking. I feel like because darkness is so idealized, um, maybe they... Maybe they put upon a pedestal those who are blind. Every time a child is born blind, oh, wow. they say, you thrive in the darkness in a way that none of us can. You Dang. understand the absence of light in a fundamental way. The darkness is a part of you in a way that 
I was born in the dark. You were <laughs> born blind. Oh my gosh. Blind. You know, okay. like, I, I think that's Can it only be thing. people who are born blind? Because otherwise people would be blinding their kids no, to I, get I this think, right. <laughs> I, I think, like, uh, every once in a while people are born blind. I mean, maybe there would be people who would be sort of um pretenders that would come in and they'd throw acid in their kids eyes oh, and no. be like he was born this way don't worry about it Trust <laughs> he us. was born They're this way like he this. was born this exactly. way I'm on the red um, but but i think the idea that thank you the, the idea that um you know blindness i think something that is traditionally looked at as a disability being viewed as kind of a superpower or as a sought after thing. I think that's really interesting. That's very cool. That you can say you don't have sight, but you can see something that none of us can see. You can see into the dark in its purest form. I love that. That's really, really cool. Yeah. I approve. So every I time. I greatly. Thank you. Every, every uh, you know, maybe every 20 years or so, they gather up all the blind kids and they say, who's the blindest of them all? <laughs> <laughs> And that's how they determine their new ruler. I don't know, something like that. But I like the idea that this lack of sight is viewed as a gift that is given to you. It's not something that they've taken away from you. It's something that they've said, you see a little further in, or a little differently than anyone else does. Very cool. Yeah. Hey, Sam, you know what that makes me think of, which is something that you what? are a big fan of. What? Um, the emperor in Kingdom of Heaven who has, uh, with the mask of course, and stuff. Like yes. he, he's a great leader with a disability, but he is yeah. incredibly powerful emperor and insightful. Edward Norton, the leper. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, the he leper. wears this cool silver mask. The whole movie, <laughs> you never see his face. Bold choice by Edward Norton. I love yeah, that. So cool. Very, very cool. Okay, so I have one last word that I have to yeah. pull from, uh, and that word is whistle. Cool. Um, one thing I kind of want us to... Do, have you used all your words? No, I haven't used neck. Well, I kind of used shiver and neck, I guess. How? Um, what, what did you use neck you, for? You hear the chill up your spine. Oh, up okay. Your neck or whatever. That's I guess how you kind of combined those two. Yeah, we kind of did. I haven't used frogs You have to yet. use frogs. Yeah, I, mean, I, I got an idea for frogs. I have an idea um, for frogs. Anyway. I'm kind of thinking that maybe as we wrap up this episode, we should look towards this concept that we kind of touched on of the eclipse. Yeah. And I think we should use that as sort of maybe a... So you've said that our kingdoms have people from our kingdoms have never seen one another. Yeah. And yet, I don't know, maybe cuz I kind of love the idea that during an eclipse like there has to be some ceremonial significance about this. Yeah. Um the 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 pathway between these places opens up during the eclipse. The, well, the convergence of these two spheres. Right. Yeah. I'm almost thinking like the, maybe uh, during the total eclipse of the dragon heart as we Right. I'm almost thinking that maybe it's a tradition and feel free to say no or build on this but maybe there's a tradition that both kingdoms have always recognized and practiced in which when the eclipse is coming mm -hmm. they choose an individual that they're going to send to the middle and the mm -hmm. middlelands and those so each kingdom sends someone from like an astronaut yeah, yeah sure yeah. they send someone from the kingdom <laughs> of light and someone from the kingdom of dark to go to the middlelands i don't know almost as sort of like a to bear witness to the union of the great dragons but okay. those people never return and so i think there's a lot of rumor about what happens to the people oh. when they go to witness this thing and maybe it's like oh it is such a grand experience that they are taken into the arms of of mother and father and they are with them forever but maybe it's simply that they go to the middlelands they witness this thing and oftentimes they decide i don't want to go back home and they've kind of built up this new society oh, I like that they think they're getting sucked into another realm but really they just say Wow, this place is cool. I want to stay here. Right, because they found the science monks who are really chill, and they're like, "Wow, you guys are cool," and they decide to stay. I feel like it That's wouldn't cool. happen all the time, but I think it's not uncommon that both kingdoms happen to send someone 
or I guess I was going to say of the opposite sex and they fall in love. Doesn't have to be that. It can be anybody. <laughs> anybody and, can fall in love with anybody, Piper. It's 2020. They, it's 2020. Everybody's falling in love. Um, but <laughs> I think it'd be really sweet if that was a rather common occurrence that these two people arrive and it's almost as if it's kind of that star-crossed lover thing. Yeah. It's this fate. It's this destiny. It's like my kingdom chose me to come here to witness this. So did mine. And there's just oh. sort of this bond. And I think... When the eclipse happens, there's just like so much, I don't know, emotion in the air that everyone's like, I'm so in love with you right now. And it's just often that cool. they kind of come together and they just cool. end up living in these in-between places. I like that a lot. I, I like how much like omen and portent and fate is tied into all of these things. And th- th- that is, that's how these people view the world around them. But maybe that's not really the case that this this middle world is kind of a demonstration that you can make your own fate, that you can decide, I don't want to live by this 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 prophecy. I came somewhere and I saw it's different than we've been led to believe. And I want to stay here because the balance, this is the place where the true balance exists right. between these places. Yeah. That's really neat. This I is like- sort of like the the promised land or something like that. Definitely. Yeah. I think so. The way I'm going to pull Whistle into this is I think it's become... Is there a song or like a music that they hear? Yes. That draws them so there? I think when when the individual from my kingdom is chosen to go to the Middle Lands to witness the eclipse, yes. I think there is um, a song that is that they're given, and the the people will tell them maybe like the priests or or the leaders or whatever will say this is an ancient song that's been passed down for generations, and when you start to feel lost, you whistle this tune, and someone will will sing it back to you, and they'll guide you the rest of the way. Oh, I like that, and so, so like a call and response kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. and so the farther they get from their kingdom, when they start to feel lost, they'll start whistling this song, and eventually someone from the middle land will hear it, and they will do a they will respond pick up to the them. tune, and yeah. exactly, and that's how they find their way. <sighs> that's really cool. I like that a lot. The the musicality of that is really neat to me. Sweet. Um, that's pretty neat. <laughs> Check that one off on your bingo board. Yeah. Um, we. You know, we didn't really talk about that. The, the bingo board is complete. Yes. Uh, our, our good friends, Monsters and Multiclass, uh, did a really cool bingo board for us, talking about a lot of our sort of little common tropes and, and in-jokes and things like that in the show. You should put a link to I'll, that. I'll link to that on Twitter, yeah. I meant to link to that this week, but uh, I'll, I'll have something up soon. So if you want to see the... Uh, <laughs> the results of that and play along at home while you listen uh we thought that was super fun and we love that actually a- another kind of cool connection i so um little sneak preview here we're going to be guesting on monsters and multi-class here in the next few weeks mm-hmm. and we're going to be talking about i don't know if this is i mean we uh, i don't know if they like hide the things that they talk about before we do it but we're going to be talking about a monk slash artificer multi-class which reminds me a lot of what you were sort of talking about there's these sort of science monks that they they tinker and they build and they find ways to match magic with technology uh and i think that's really neat i think well, that i don't think a, they have any magic really... it's all tech exactly that, that, that's exactly what i mean is yeah. they're trying to imitate the ah. the the effects of magic yes. by building these technological replacements for it. Yes. Um, you know, they're, they're a bunch of Iron Mans, you know, trying mm-hmm. to keep up with all the Thors and the Hulks and stuff of the world. Right. You get by... there and everyone's on their cell phones. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think that's really neat. So that's actually something we're going to be talking about at length in a few weeks with uh, our friends at uh, uh, Monsters underscore Multi on Twitter, uh, Monsters and Multiclass, which Looking is a great podcast it. you should all check out. But uh, I'm, I'm very excited to talk about that with him. I think that'll be really cool. Um you have to tell us about frogs. I have yeah. to tell us about frogs. Okay, so one of the things that I thought would be fun to establish in these kingdoms would be what sort of the heroes or champions or like folk tales, legends, things like that are in these places. And I, I 
frogs are often nocturnal. I, you know, I, I mean, we grew. I, I grew up in a place where, when I was a kid, I could walk out into the, you know, by a bunch of lakes out in the woods or whatever, and hear the croaking frog songs on all <laughs> sides of me. And actually, I, I think I mentioned this on a recent-ish episode. How when I was a kid, my dad and I were. Uh, we did a, this sort of volunteer work for the DNR where they gave us a cassette with a bunch of frog sounds on it. And we went out into the woods at night and we just listened for all the songs that, you know, that we 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 heard these sounds on the cassette. And they said, count every time you hear each of these sounds in an hour. And that's how they like take inventory of all the frogs that exist. Which so is, fun. I love that. It's a crazy fun experience, right? And so I view frogs as nocturnal creatures i don't know if all frogs are nocturnal or whatever but i think of frogs want, frogs in the night i want um, you to have a shirt that says i view frogs i view frogs that's it in the night. <laughs> um so i'm thinking about maybe a folk hero in this town is the night frog oh my and god maybe he's Did you mean the night monkey the night the night monkey yeah um <laughs> The the night frog I think would be like a folk hero in Lunumbra that is um so I, I really like the idea of like frog frog people, like frog locks. I'm playing a campaign right now where my character is a, a frog man, bard and warrior. Uh I I I think frogs are neat and cute and fun. <laughs> and I wish there were more frogs in the world and more frogs in my D D games. So I want to invent a character. That is a folk hero that maybe hops around from crime to crime in oh Lunumbra, oh and uh, with their they they have their cloak of darkness, and they can hide in the swamps and then burst out like a I don't know uh, like a spring loaded frog and blast their way down crime's throat, and they fight <laughs> crime. I don't know. That's that's kind of where I'm going with this. I think there's like a cool like hero hero Batman frog. Oh my gosh! I think this works a little better if frog people are not. A common thing. I don't think they're super common. This yeah. has to be like yeah. the Bigfoot of their area. Yes, yeah. Where they're like, oh, it's the legend of the Frogman. I completely agree. The, the Loveland Frogman, yeah. Exactly. I completely agree. I think uh, frog people are, they're they're very uncommon and it's it's like a big deal if you see a frog person, right? It's good luck. It's good. Yeah, it's good luck. It's good luck to see a frog person, right? <laughs> people are like, oh my gosh, it's like the opposite of a black cat walk crossing your path or it's like, whatever. like, oh, a frog person? Can I buy you a drink? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Can I that give you some flies? That's kind of neat. Like, I think that'd be cool that um, these frog people are kind of a, a minority. They're really rare, but they're not viewed with fear. They're viewed with reverence because they say there aren't a lot of you and you respect your your people and your culture and like, what a, what a world to live in, right? Yeah, it'd be so um, great. I think that'd be neat if when people see a frog person, they get excited and they say like, wow, we're blessed to have met you today, right? And there's this one frog person, the night frog, that... Maybe Hop, hops around in the night fighting crime. Maybe your frog person <laughs> is they live in the capital or they live yeah. beneath the capital and yes. that's where they've been seen and that's where the legend is spread from. Yes. They they tell stories of a of a majestic golden frog that hops around in the night with his cloak of darkness. Very and cool. He uh he I don't know throws his tongue at all the crime i don't know i don't know what he does fabulous i think we've done a really good job of building up this world and i agree i want to say thank you again so much to steve for yeah, D &D asking steve. us to do this this is really fun i hope yeah. you like what we did it's Having nice to get to play in somebody else's sandbox yeah for a bit I, I think it's cool that we were given such a interesting little prompt and we were just set loose on it uh the fact that you trust us to do that means a lot that you said just just go nuts we don't really care uh, it was really exciting. And the yeah. fact that you've been a follower of our work means a lot. And we hope that all of this will be useful to you and that you'll find ways to incorporate this in your 
world and that both you and Nicole uh, enjoy this episode together. Absolutely. And please, <laughs> as you develop more from these ideas, tell us how it goes. I want to know what happens next. Absolutely. Please do. And we'll be uh, doing our best to keep all of our listeners and our followers on Twitter uh, abreast of how this kind of develops further, because I'm, I'm very excited about this. I like this this big collaboration. I liked it a lot uh, too. But I do feel this is a good place to leave this. Unless yes. you have any other final thoughts, Piper, about your kingdom, if there's anything else you want to add to it or any other little, you know, do you have a night frog? Do you have a day frog that you want to add? I don't have any superheroes <laughs> uh, that patrol my town, but I think one thing I want to leave it with is an idea that I kind of thought of earlier when I was wrapping up the concept about how there are the people who pull a kind of religious attachment to the sunflowers and the choices that they make yes. to those people who say we are we should be governed by our own kind not by plants but then also i think there's a third sect of individuals who say why are you talking about mortals and flowers when we should be dedicating ourselves to our dragon god and the sun itself uh, yeah i like that and i think so all the division in solux is interesting to me well yeah. i think that's really important because i don't want it to be too much of a sunshine kingdom yeah, everything's for sure. great for sure. i think that's one thing that i really like about my personal creation is that from the outside it is this beautiful sunny peaceful place but there is so much turmoil in it yeah. in fact it's almost like it's New York City, right? You know, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Yeah, the course. dreamers flock to this kingdom. But once you get there, you're like, ooh, it's hard living. Like, you're going to get approached by three Certainly, different people okay. trying to get you to join their cult. And <laughs> you have to decide what you want to do. There's a lot of different sun cults yeah. that you got to you choose from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's neat. Okay, cool. So, so, yes, good places for both of these kingdoms. That's awesome. Uh, I think that means then, Piper, it's time to like a night frog hop on over yes <laughs> to the rec room the rec room where we will be making a wonderful recommendation for you this week and i gave you this idea yes piper gave me this idea so <laughs> often i forget about the things that i love uh and piper like me <laughs> yes and piper has to remind me of them and uh one thing that i wanted to talk about here uh that i think is a really really something that i've drawn a lot of inspiration from in the past when building worlds and building artifacts and and trying to have fun in a um well in kind of a really abstract creative space is uh i, I I'm, a, I'm a big fan look i'm finding a weird roundabout way to get to this i like dwarf fortress dwarf fortress is Sam the rec room here <laughs> um i think dwarf fortress is a really really interesting game in that it, it kind of matches the format of the show really well, that everything in Dwarf Fortress is generated completely randomly and there are infinite possibilities. It's all basically like, you know, random prompts and you combine all these things to make these, you know, kingdoms and artifacts. And for anyone not familiar, um, Dwarf Fortress is, it's a PC game made by a guy named uh, Tarn Adams and his brother. It's a free to play game uh, that's been around for, it's been in development for something like 20 years or so. He's just been working on it nonstop. And it's kind of this passion project of his. Um, and something that's really interesting about it, the, the things that I love most about Dwarf Fortress are the reasons why people who don't play Dwarf Fortress play Dwarf Fortress, right? <laughs> um, it's extremely abstract and convoluted and complex. It is a game that does not include graphics as a feature. Um, it's, it's all like silly ASCII art. If you want to have graphics, you have to download a mod to add that in. Oh it's my played through a extremely complicated series of uh keyboard commands and hotkeys and like button presses and things like that this and is it, quite the rec room where we're like you probably won't oh get yeah into no this. <laughs> well but so here's the thing though like 
first off, when you learn to play this game, so when I first started playing Dwarf Fortress, I literally watched 30 hours of tutorial videos on how to play this game. Like, it's very complicated, but when you do learn to play it, it's like watching The Matrix. You feel like a like a real cool guy. Totally. <laughs> you can like, say, like, I can understand this, yeah. Yeah, I see a blonde, um, brunette, redhead. <laughs> totally. And and what I think the greatest power of it is, is aside from the fact that, you know, it's it's like a management sim. Uh, you're, you're building up this kingdom and you're, you know, you're building workshops and farms and, you know, making food and making artifacts and items to sell. Um, everything that you encounter in the world and everything that you make in the world is completely randomly generated. So no two games will ever be the same. And really the fun thing about the game is how these things all fall apart. You know, you, you play, there's no win condition. Mm -hmm. You just play until everything goes to hell and it, you know and, and the, the losing is the fun part of the game right but as you're doing this you know your dwarves are you know leveling up in their skills and they're making these fantastic artifacts and the the artifacts in the game are all um representations of the things that happen in the game so a really fun story that i always have of the game that i that i think is fun is um you know you can you can carve the walls of your fortress you, you dig fortresses into the ground and you can um you know smooth the stone and then carve these beautiful engravings and when your dwarves see them it makes them happy right Cute. but the things that they will engrave will be based on the the things that exist in the randomly generated world like every every game takes place in a different randomly generated world and i had a game once where um my one of my dwarves had adopted a cat in the game and the cat died and so anytime they saw anything that referenced this cat's name, it made them very, very sad. Mm. And I carved the walls of their their office. They were like the mayor of my dwarf kingdom. And it just randomly happened that the dwarf who carved it carved a bunch of uh, pictures of that cat on the walls. So every time they went into their office, they saw pictures of that cat and it made them sad. That's so And eventually sad. they got so sad that they went insane and murdered all the other dwarves in the cat in the in the fortress. Like, okay, how even do you program <laughs> that into a game? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's so like self-referential and weird and and I think it's a really, really fun way to sort of see what can happen when you start building a kingdom and then let it just go wild on its own. Um, you know, another really fun thing is I remember one time one of my dwarves made a crown that had a carving of itself on itself. It was like a recursive <laughs> crown. There's all kinds of weird stuff in this game. And I I often will reference, you know, if I'm looking for ways to make um, a cool mysterious weapon or armor or artifact for one of my players in a D&D game to find, I'll play Dwarf Fortress for a little bit and I'll see what my dwarves come up with because you can look at the descriptions of all of these items and it will say, you know, it's a diorite crown bristling with uh, spikes of gold and on it is carved the battle between the dwarves of, uh, you know, this place and the goblins of this place. And like, it, it's so descriptive and just kind of grand in a really, really fun way. Um, it's very I, cool. It's a completely unique gaming experience and I could talk about it for hours <laughs> and I should probably cut myself off here it's because I'm already starting to spiral. Yeah, <laughs> uh, But, there, you know, there, there are so many unique experiences in Dwarf Fortress that are unlike anything that I've had in any other game anywhere. And there's so many ways to pull inspiration from these experiences. The way that things fall apart and the mm. things that your dwarves can create are just so pure and fun and beautiful i think um and it's a free to play game you can download it and play it totally for free so go watch so. 38 hours of tutorials yes, <laughs> and then learn how to type in code yes. and then have fun that is your homework listeners is uh, if you're not all dwarf fortress experts uh by the time the next episode rolls around then 
are you really even living, you know? Yeah, big question. That's what I, ask I guess I'm not living. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> for sure. So uh, that's that concludes our rec room here. And I think that means it's time for us to... Uh, jump into this thank take tank. Take a little jump in the thank tank. And don't you say that word. It's sorry, not allowed. Sorry, what word, Piper? Uh, I'm not saying it. We no. are saying a big old thank you <laughs> to the inspiration for today's episode. You gave us such amazing creative fodder. And your name is D&D Steve, yes. a.k.a. known as Steve in real life by his friends and family, I'm thank sure. Thank you. Thank uh, you, Steve. If so you want much. to go and, and harass Steve about how great his ideas are, a.k.a. flatter him with love, you can find him on Twitter <laughs> at uh, D&D Steve. That's it. For sure. So we, thank you, Steve. You are a great inspiration. We really, really appreciate you gifting us this prompt this is so much fun to talk about and i think this is something that we you know we hope that you find our musings on this useful and we would love to you know maybe revisit again or work with you to build on some of these things so uh you know feel free to reach out to us with your feedback on this episode uh steve you can do that or any of our other listeners can do that if you want to <laughs> help uh steve build this fun world with his daughter uh I i'm sure that would be very appreciated um, outside of that, if you want to hear more of us or talk to us mm -hmm. or connect with us in any way, Piper, where can we be found on the World Wide Web? We can be found on all podcast listening platforms, mm -hmm. uh, wherever your podcasts are found. And uh, also, if you want to talk to us, you can do it on Twitter uh, at WorldForgePod. You can send us emails at WorldForgePod at gmail.com. 100%. We want to hear about your worlds. Uh, if you also, if you're like Steve and his daughter and you would like a little help developing things, yeah. send them our way. We will gladly build this out for you. For sure. Especially if you tell us to, quote unquote, go nuts. For sure. For we sure. We will gladly go nuts. We are practically squirrels in that way. Exactly. And if you want to build on our creations, if you want to explain to us who the Night Frog's arch nemesis is, oh we would gosh, love to yes. hear that. If you have fan mail or fan fiction or fan art, please consider sending it our way. That just really means a lot to us. Um, one thing I do want to say about our uh, where you can find us is that we are actually going to be switching podcast hosting platforms here very soon yes. uh our host changed some things about the terms of their uh hosting abilities and so we'll be switching to a new platform so there may be a brief bit of downtime but uh in in the next like week or so uh after that passes you should continue to find us on stitcher on uh podcast addict on google play on mm -hmm. apple podcasts on anywhere that you get your favorite podcasts um and if you really really want to support us uh, Piper, what is the best way that our listeners can do that? Um, they can write us a review. Absolutely. If and you want share to it with your friends and family. A five-star <laughs> review. Tell us about how much fun you have listening to our podcast or tell your friends and family about our show. That is the best way that you can get our podcast in front of new listeners. It means the world to us and it really, really, really does help us a lot. Uh, so please consider doing that. It's just a, a very kind gesture that we really... it. It lights up our lives. It sure does. Uh, like the the solar rays of Solux, the golden <laughs> dragon. Uh, it fills us with joy and light and, and happiness. So uh, please, please consider doing that. Yeah. Um, just FYI, I'm definitely going to go watch Moon when we're done recording. <laughs> so uh, that's what's up for me. <laughs> for sure. Well, you guys go and watch Moon. Go and play Dwarf Fortress. And uh, go and listen to our backlog. Uh, you're all stuck inside for a while longer anyway. Uh, until... Next week, then, uh -huh. I think. Uh, we hope you have a good time. Stay safe. Be happy. Be healthy. And uh, we'll, we'll be back next week with another fun episode talking about something else. Yeah. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye.